0: It is a good day, and we're here for another podcast on a book that we have been reading as a church in the month of January, Bully Pulpit by Michael Kruger. And so today in studio, Gino, Thomas, and I will be discussing this live in front of my dog and kids. back
1: hello. hello
0: it's good to be here yep yeah A little book review time do you want to hear something interesting i actually hate book reviews really yeah it's hard to like talk about them mm. it's like there's favorite things in here there's things i like there's things you want to talk about but it's hard to like systematically put another person's thoughts into like a formal structured discussion. Ah, okay. Yeah. And that's why I don't like them. Okay. Yeah. I I thought
1: you didn't like the opinions given book reviews, which I, I could see that that could be annoying sometimes.
0: Well, yeah, there's, there are good book reviews and there are bad book reviews. So in my opinion, a good book review understands the author and presents what he or she is saying and then interacts with the material. Mm-hmm. a bad book review is I don't like that. The author didn't bring up this thing. I wanted him to bring up, mm. or I don't like the terminology he used or like um, this person in this topic should have organized it the way I would have organized it. So, and that like, if, if you're on Goodreads or Amazon, you see it all the time. Yep. You know? So in fact, there's a one star review on Goodreads about this book. And so the reviewer said, doesn't go enough into the victims. And it's like, well, yeah, but he said up front that that wasn't necessarily like, I think he acknowledged there's more to be said. He just doesn't, he can't do it in this book. Right. Yeah. So that's what I don't like about book reviews. Yeah. So I think, so as we do these, just to be fair, I want to bring that up. We are trying to understand the author and deal with his or her opinions.
1: So it's not really a book review. It's uh, looking at the book
0: and discussing
1: the, I don't want people Uh, to hate our book, our book review. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: to be fair, right. And yes, some books bring up an issue and they forget a very important topic. And I think it's fair to say, Hey, why did the author not bring this up? Sometimes those are fair questions to ask. Mm hmm. Um, also there's a human being, so it's not God. It's not spirit inspired. Mm -hmm. So the other, sometimes the other thing I notice is some people will not like like two pages of a book and they'll scratch the whole book because of it. And sometimes you read a book and you're like, yeah, but the tenor and point of the book was really good. And yes, that doesn't mean we agreed with everything in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm almost tired of having to say to people, I don't agree with everything in the book. Like it's just, can we just all agree that you're never going to agree? Mm-hmm. you don't even agree with your own spouse all the time. What? I know.
1: Shh. <laughs> I surprise, anybody. surprise. No. I know.
0: So if you have to agree with everything an author writes, in order to read the book, you'll never read a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be fair, you should never get married either. Unless you wrote the book, then you can agree. Yeah. <laughs> <Then> you probably <laughs> yeah. agree But your spouse would it. read it and be like, uh, you're out the lunch. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, hopefully, if you ever write a book, you can look back on it five years later and and be like, you know, I could,
0: I could um, rewrite some of those paragraphs. And <laughs> All right. yeah, every author I know has said, "Oh, my thinking has shifted since I wrote that book," but it's out there now, and it's like, yeah, because you wrote it at this time. At that time, yeah. yeah, you've had more time to think about it. All right. So, first question is: When you picked this book up, what did you expect from the book? What were you looking for? Was there anything you were leery about when you picked the book up? Who mm.
1: wants to go first? Uh, Thomas? Yeah, I guess my
2: my mind went to um, the the YouTube videos or, or the podcast of, uh, I guess it was, I watched on YouTube the, the podcast of the Mars Hill Church. And kind of getting to the end of that, I don't think I, I, I listened to the last three episodes because I was just like kind of sickened mm-hmm. by that time. You know, and then you see a title like that and then see it's, it's, there, there's a couple of references to that in there and it's like, oh, I don't want to relive that, you know?
1: Gee, you got PTSD just, <clears throat> PTSD just, from that. just listening to the podcast.
2: <laughs> but, you know, and, and that was the big thing for me is like, you know, okay, how does it get there, right? Like you don't wake up one day and just say, I'm going to go out into right field. But over time, you end up there, mm-hmm. a- and so what were the things here? And I think they did a good job in the the podcast describing that, and, and, and in the book. Since we're here to talk about that, um, you know, to to know that and to understand that, and see see where it's off. Mm-hmm. What, what's a, a role as a as a layperson, as a leader, as an elder, right? And and when things like this happen, so need to know it, mm-hmm. be able to recognize it, right? How do we deal with it? Um but
1: there's there's a lot to learn in there, yeah so. mm. I think for me, uh, <clears throat> I didn't really I was kind of looking forward to it because I knew Michael Kruger wrote it, and um it's not typically his you know the thing that he writes. He's a New Testament studies guy, so um, but being the president of a seminary um and him addressing this topic i I just thought, okay, you have a scholar who's gonna talk about this. From his perspective, and then from the seat of a seminary president, I thought, "Wow, this is be this could be really helpful." So, um, yeah, it, that was my expectation. I, because I, I, reading the stuff that he's written, uh, I kind of follow his blog a little bit, um, at which I always have found helpful. And I believe we've we've uh, done we've read a book from him, right? Yeah, one of the books that he, he's written. Um, I, I knew that he'd handle the material in a in a fair and and just you know. The manner that you'd expect from a, a gentleman and a scholar, <laughs> so
0: right, yeah. Um, I'll be fair; I don't think I would have put this on our yearly church list either, mm-hmm. had it just been like a um, like a tearing down of of the bully pastor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, not not that um, you said something earlier. What what helps the, with this? What this book is helpful for is it brings clarity to ministry, mm-hmm. and so that's what I liked about the book. Was was even though he's defining sinful behavior, it's woven throughout the book. Also, a right view of what ministry is, mm-hmm. and so the older I get and, and the more experience I have, and and the more study you do, the more you realize it's it's easy to tear down. It's easy to criticize. It, it takes no effort. It takes no knowledge. It's just easy to back. Like, I don't like that. That that does that doesn't work. So a book like this, it's easy to go into rant mode because you're you know you're trying to talk about unqualified ministers. And I thought he did a good job of also articulating what it should look like. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's what I think. That's why I think at the end I was okay recommending this book and even recommended to other people to read. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I like his heart. I think in an introduction, it said that, you know, he, you think about the seat of seminary president seminaries train future leaders. So think of the burden on, on, on the shoulders of someone that's a seminary president and then finding out that pulpits are being filled today with bully, with bullies. Um, you know, it's almost like okay, what are we if we're preparing people for pastoral ministry in seminaries, and they're coming out this way? The question then is, well, what are what are we what kind of what kind of pastors are we making, and what are congregations expecting uh, to hire? And and so he he kind of discusses that, which is very helpful, um, and, and things that you don't really think about until like you know with the current church landscape of, you know, the scandals and. Um, and these aren't sex scandals. These these are these are scandals that have to do with domineering type of, you know, Lord over you leadership, um, which, believe it or not, I mean, it seems like it's just happening today, but apparently it has happened through the beginning of time, um, I think, yeah. because we're sinful. We want to domineer.
0: Yeah. Uh, Chris Austin, in that book that I just read on the priesthood, And don't, don't let that title confuse you because the word priest, what we hear is Catholic church, Mm -hmm. modern Catholic church. Um, But this is well before the Catholic church went weird in their doctrine. Um, He, he brings that up too, that you, you know, he says I'm kind of leery of being a pastor because um, I realize that, uh, that our leadership is primarily influential not authoritarian. And mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of my summary. Okay. Uh, that's my, um, contextualizing his <laughs> words. Yeah. But that's basically what he says. And when, when I read it, I was like, man, there were so many times where that guy, you would have thought if I, if I didn't tell you he was writing in, you know, fourth century, you'd have been like, Oh, this guy just wrote this book mm-hmm. because he talks about famous pastors. He talks about how guys can say the right things, but their character can be atrocious. Um, you know, the one thing, too, about this book um, that, I, that I was kind of like uh, maybe a little leery of is not, not only I didn't want to, like, read a book that was just a rant on different people. Um, and that that's where I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of good definition in there. Um, yeah, the other thing that I think is kind of maybe I was worried about. Um, and I felt like you did a good job was there's this propensity in our culture today to think that, um, one, that somebody telling me to do something is abusive or two, anytime something hits the media to instantly jump on the victim side. Hmm. And I thought he provided enough nuances in this book and clarifications that it really helped out.
1: Mm, that's good.
0: You know, um, he, you yeah, know, yeah. yeah. So like on page 23, he provided a good nuance here. Um, you know, cause he has a whole section of what spiritual abuse is not. Mm-hmm. And so he, and the, again, so the one star review of, he didn't talk about sexual abuse we are not talking about sexual abuse, whether it involves sexual contact or inappropriate conversations or solicitations. While the church has made some strides to address this issue, recent events suggest we still have a long way to go. And I I think he's trying to, I think he's kind of trying to say, look, I'm trying to pinpoint an issue. Mm -hmm. This, this can't be an encyclopedia. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I don't blame him. Like this is probably a thousand hours of work already. You add physical, sexual, abuse to this, and you're talking about 50,000 hours.
1: I think what it is, and this is why I think Michael writes this, is that, or Dr. Kruger, is that um, we obviously know that sexual abuse and physical abuse is not acceptable, but sometimes we interpret um, this, this kind of heavy-handed leadership as okay, mm-hmm. uh, as, or maybe even necessary, or maybe even acceptable. And when in reality, like if you think about Christ rightly, it's unacceptable. It's disqualified leadership.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because you get saved and you think, well, this guy's a good leader, but you're judging him like he's Winston Churchill or, I mean, to be fair, if, if what it takes to be a good leader is to organize, influence a group of people, persuade them to a common cause, um, get their hearts into it, organize the materials, you know, and the resources you have available to objectify, to, to reach your objective in your conquest. I mean, you just said Hitler was a good leader. Ooh, good point. Right? So I dropped the Hitler line. Oh. Nine. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he, he brings up a couple, kind of goes on. Um, he says, because I think we need to define what... I'd like to define his view of spiritual abuse as we talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has some good kind of nuances here. Uh, On page 23, merely pointing out sin is not an instance of abuse. And I think that's very important to realize, especially in this context, in this culture, because we are in a culture where, you know, a young person says you can't tell me I'm wrong because if you tell me I'm wrong, that's hate speech and you're devaluing me as a human being. Well, the Bible tells us we're wrong all the time. And so we're not calling God a manipulative bully pastor. Mm -hmm. And your point is, is well made at this point, right? That, that until we learn what it means to be a leader, like Christ calls us to be a leader, Mm -hmm. we are subjecting ourselves to the possibility of putting wrong people in leadership because we're looking for them to accomplish good goals but we don't understand that god actually cares about how we go about accomplishing those goals.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the and, and that's that's the kind of american um capitalistic, you know, ceo mindset. It's um get the goal at any cost even if it even if there's dead bodies at the wake. <laughs> that's uh you know, uh, if you think of uh, like the best some of the most successful business leaders. That's kind of how they operated. Now they're not necessarily the best because there are business leaders out there that did, did things even with biblical, um, you know, models, maybe without even knowing it, but the guys that there's guys out there that got rich and lots of dead bodies along the way. Yeah.
0: And that's why a lot of people hate corporations because that narrative exactly becomes. Yeah. And
1: that's fair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it is and it isn't, Yeah, you know, um, he provides one more nuance here too. Um, back in the introduction, he says, uh, we often presume from the outset that the purity of a pastor's doctrine must somehow guarantee the purity of the pastor. And I think that's the other reason why you want to bring it up is just because the guy can say the right things doesn't mean he does the right things, especially behind closed doors. Sure. And so the other reason why we bring that up is, you know, a lot of, a lot of, I think most people in our church say, Hey, our doctrine is solid. Um, One, we're not trying to bully anybody, but two, there is one of the reasons why we go slow in laying hands on people is manipulative people can only manipulate for so long. And so if you're quick because, oh, this guy just, this guy's the right guy. You know, sometimes you lay hands on a guy so quick that you later find out, oh, we just laid hands on a highly manipulative person who was able to put forth a good face beforehand, but now that he's in that position and sometimes, right. You get that guy in the position really hard to get him out. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's why this book was, was good. He, you know, even kind of brings up this like secondary point, um, uh, that, you know, during, um, 2020, there was some news out there about police officers and um, events between different different people, right? So a police officer kills somebody, or something tragic happens, and somebody dies, and instantly culture the right like does what it does, where on Facebook you have two sides, you're either anti police, um, and therefore pro victim. Or your your pro vic, you know, or your um, pro police anti victim, mm-hmm. and so everybody's thinking like, oh, if you're pro police, then you're anti victim. And and he has this really good nuance on police officers that applies also, um, because I think this is the problem, right? You hear you hear one story of a bad pastor, who's you know, I uh, told somebody once they were like, all pastors care about is money, and I was like, you've known me for a year. Have, has what what have I done in our relationship of a year to make you think that all I care about is money? And the person was like, "Well, nothing." And I was like, "So then, why do you make a statement that all pastors care about is money?" And the guy just looked at me, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." So here is his point on Xviiii. I don't read Roman numerals. <laughs> this this Super Bowl <laughs> is so long 17. ago. Seventeen. Yeah. Thank you. See, they I remember. To that, but the Super Bowls helped me, but then I forget. Um, that you know, that listen, when it comes to police officers, he says this, but he's applying it to pastors, acknowledging the reality, right? That some police officers are corrupt, does not make a person a cop hater. No, you can believe that most police officers insert pastor are honorable, kind and brave. And at the same time, believe that there are a small minority who are not the two positions are not mutually exclusive. And I think I double starred that. Because in my mind, like, that's the kind of nuance that should be presented in modern discussions. Mm-hmm. And uh, even even beyond bully but any discussion, you should be able to realize, hey, we're not necessarily always trying to sweep everybody into this category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just because you hear a story about a guy being a racist in the South doesn't mean every guy who drives a, a 1984 Dodge pickup with with a flag on the back of his car is a racist. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, so um, let's define what he says about spiritual abuse, and then I'm interested to hear what you guys appreciated about his book. Um, page, page 24. Page 24. Yeah, I just passed it. It's funny. Spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization— wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates domineers bullies and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his own power and control. Even if he is convinced he is seeking biblical and kingdom related goals. And I start and underline that with yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's funny. He talks about different, you know, um, tactics they'll use pious coercion. I'm doing this because I love you. It's the loving thing to do. Um, right. And, and again, a more good nuance. Um, God does put people in authority in the church, but, it, but again, he says a lot about what makes someone's about the common way to wield that authority. And so I know what we're going to talk about that later, but all right, so talk to me, guys. What what are some things that stood out to you? Even maybe about the definition, was the definition helpful? Um, yeah,
1: <clears throat> Thomas, did you have anything on that de- definition there? Um,
2: so much in this this book came out to the pride and humility thing, right? It's it's. it's so important, but but you see that there in the second part of that that definition, right? And, and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his own power and control, hmm. right? And, and it's like you get to that point, and, and of course, pride, humility, opposites from each other. But sac- such a lack of humility there, but so easy to get, at least for me in my heart, so easy to get caught up in that, that pride, right? In uh, a lot of things, and the way I, I was before I was, I call myself a Christian. So seeing that there, and, and so I think from, from there and then, then on, there was always this kind of noticing this thing between, and I think we're going to talk about ministry coming up, but pride and humility, right? And it, it just gets lost there, and then seems to kind of spiral out of control to this point where you have this, you know, this, whatever it is, this, this blow-up or this big problem. Um, and then look at the results from that, take that further in, in terms of like unity or church splits or, or things that happen. A church just falls apart in it. So I always kind of see those big things. Um, so when I read that, yeah, that, that's what I take. I kind of take the, the negative part of the, the second part of the, the definition there. Uh, um, that, that there's, you know, there's that, that power and control. Um and and then you know, you think of how even if he is convinced that he's seeking biblical and kingdom related goals and it's mm-hmm. like that, the mind
1: is just so Yeah, confused at that point. Yeah, he's um I, I guess the way I'd summarize this <laughs> is that the goal is good, but the means is evil, right? So the means is power and manipulation, domineering, bullying, intimidation. So it's almost like you're intimidating people. Bullying people for the sake of the expansion of God's kingdom. Um, That's like conquer and divide almost. Exactly. uh, And it's interesting because he does bring up Old Testament a little bit. And he points out that the people wanted Saul. And what did they want? Why did they want Saul? He was bigger, right? Big dude. What they viewed, they viewed that their problem was that they were occupied by another people group. And that was their major problem. And what they really need was a shepherd in David who would actually save, help, help them have no Christ or no, no no Christ, no God, right? No Yahweh in such a way that they could have faith in him and realize that they're the problem. It's not the people that are that are um, uh, causing problems around them. And, and that's very important because even the way we do ministry, and we, I guess we'll talk about this later. Like if you view the problems as, as external. Um, we do ministry because look at all the bad out there that's a completely different framework than how Christ is actually intentionally doing ministry. No, the problem is in your heart, and we're the problem, and let's walk in such a way that you know is worthy of the calling with which we've been called right that's a different framework we're not trying to fix everybody we're trying to lead them by influence mm-hmm. to know Christ, to know God uh, and to to love them and to know of his love for them and right to repent of sin, uh, absolutely. But not through not through manipulation or power or coercion. Yeah, coercion. Dumb, yeah, yeah. coercion. Um,
0: what's What's the danger of manipulation? Uh, you guys seen maybe in experience or just kind of what you've seen, even even in outside the church in the workforce. What's the problem with? I mean, because he does point out that like. Um, here's the reality. Pastors accused of spiritual abuse are often accomplishing something helpful for the kingdom, expanding the reach of the gospel, planting churches, helping the poor. Their ministries looked blessed. The appearance of blessing not only makes the abusive pastor sure he's doing nothing wrong, but it also convinces others of his innocence. They refuse to believe any accusations to allow such a possibility to direct the tidy world they have built around this, that spiritual leader. What's the problem with manipulation? Like what, why would you, you know, tell your kids, or maybe put in some kind of leadership position and you see him try to like manipulate somebody, what, what would you warn them? What would you tell them?
1: Well, yeah. uh, The problem with manipulation is that whatever, however you manipulate them to get a result is what you're going to have to keep doing versus building, you know, conviction in them and uh, helping them understand the why of what they do for their own. They're basically, uh, they, they don't, they, they haven't owned the mission. They've uh, they've only been conformed by the outside, um, and that's all they know. If I don't do this, then there there are consequences. Rather than I need to do this because of the one I love and serve, and you know what I mean. That's completely different. Again, right. different viewpoint of how we um, how we approach people and how we serve people. Yeah, I was going to say that same
2: thing. Yeah, it doesn't come from a place of so, uh, Love and service to the person, right? So, it, it, it's the opposite because you don't care about the person because you're going to manipulate them to get the what you want out of them, um, and, and so that all the time in in, in business, that's just going to collapse on itself at, at, at a certain time because it's not genuine. Um,
0: why did why does that collapse? Just let's let's explore that a second. Why does that collapse?
2: I think what Gino said is. Uh, is correct, because now we have to go on keeping, and that gets tiring, right? It's, it's like all of a sudden you got all the, the plates on the stick kind of deal and you can't hold them up anymore, right? Um, people then, as they learn you, now understand who you are. Um, I think a, a lot of times uh, or, or sometimes something comes out of that person that truly exposes them.
1: I think you had an illustration from the business world uh, that you brought up one time. I can't remember. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember talking about it? Now, one from the business world. Yeah, like you had an illustration where you know you're you're. It's like in in the world of sales, right? Mm -hmm. If you're, there's a difference between manipulating customers to make a purchase Mm -hmm. versus you know what. So a good sales
2: person learns who you're selling. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a business and what they're about and and everything else. But it's about listening. Mm -hmm. It's about what problem do they need an answer to and do I have a solution I can present to them. Mm -hmm. A bad salesperson is manipulating somebody. And that might include lying, stretching the truth, anything to get the sale for you to buy it because I'm just concerned about me making, let's just say, a commission. right? The other way is... What a professional does and really cares about relationship and ongoing relationship. The other person once the person finds out, hey, you, you charge me three hundred dollars more than than the other guy, you're done. Hmm. Somebody did that on in Hawaii, and the guy told me, oh, I just threw it at list price. You know, it should have been half cost. He just threw. It. I'm like, but bro, you you work on an island. Like once you're exposed, you don't think that these guys are going to talk and. Mm -hmm. Your reputation, it didn't care. He was going after a giant commission while at the expense of his customer, right? So just take that now, and and, and, I mean, it's still people, right? But I'm interested in in the the long term and a customer for life, you know, rather than manipulating it so I could have short money. Yeah,
1: You know, what's my motivation there? It's not the person, it's me. That's interesting that you brought up, um, you're you're trying to, find you're trying to solve a problem in them like from the from the ministry point of view the problem is right the problem is that they're not right with the lord like let's say someone's an unbeliever the problem is sin their sinfulness mm-hmm. uh, and that they don't know Christ mm-hmm. and that's their greatest need is Jesus Christ um and if they don't understand it if they think their the solution is religiosity mm-hmm. that's not going to last forever yeah yeah, yeah if they find, but if they find their sufficiency in Jesus Christ their rest in Christ, um, they're never going to leave Christ. Sure, yeah. So,
0: yeah, those are good points. Um, we we were talking about this the other day with all of us elders too, and I think it's important to bring this up. Um, actually, even Horton was talking about this in his book, um, uh, "Recovering Our Sanity," on the fear of God, and he was talking about, um, you know, kind of this like super law approach to helping people. And he, he points out that Paul's actually responding to a church who is being led by somebody who's trying to just impose the rules and regulations. And he ends up saying, you know, for the whole law, 514 is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And and Horton rightfully brings up that that's in the context of this, you know, heavy handed follow the rules mentality. And that, that does seem to be kind of the manipulative mentality, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right? To create a culture of rules, regulations, here's, here's the line. Don't step out of line, stay in line. You don't want to look divisive. You don't want to look, you know, you don't want to like bring undue reproach upon us, right? Right. You don't want to bring a bad reputation to us. And the interesting part is those are the wrong fears because that's not a, Hey, let's fear the Lord and honor him, right? It's, Hey, let's fear percent our the perception of us. I think that's the hard part. If you've ever worked for somebody manipulative is it's actually physically exhausting. Mm-hmm. And how many, how mean we've, we've seen relationships end because one person's highly manipulative and the other person just finally says, I'm done with this. Like this is, this is not worth it to me. And you know, somebody may be standing in the corner going, Hey, you, you shouldn't, you should never divorce. And that's true. But until you've been under somebody who's manipulative, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And um, like, like Juno said, you have to keep creating new fears to keep right. Cause what you did to bring them in was, was these fears and what you have to do to keep them is to continue to change the fears, and so at some point, I just think if you're under manipulative people, it just gets exhausting, mm-hmm. and you're like, you know what, like, and, and the the reality is, a lot of times, uh, it's good things, you know. We're not talking about some pastor going, "Hey, help me, help me," like, um, or some some Christian leader, you know, we're not talking about a leader in the church trying to say, like, "Hey, help me." steal money from the offering behind the closed doors, right? It's, Mm -hmm. Hey, we need, we need to do this good thing. And then the manipulation and the cruelty comes out, you know, and a fear of, Hey, if you don't do it this way, then you're not honoring God, Mm -hmm. you know, or if you make our pastor look bad, then you're not honoring God. If you, you know what I mean? And it's like this, like you're, you're creating a fear of man, which the church can't be about the fear of man. And that that's a, that's a huge problem in, in any leadership, which is why, um, you know, we, we concluded um, and in our pre discussions, you know, you kept talking about, you know, it's, it's really why you have to understand the definition of ministry. Mm-hmm. Now um, he does, he does mention a couple caveats and I think it's helpful to bring that up because we talked about, you know, you guys are talking about people being manipulative, cruel, defensive. Um, oftentimes, this, is, this goes back to your pride. One of the worst things we do as, as people, and it, and when we do it, it, I think it needs to be the ambulance needs to go off in our head. You know how you're talking and the ambulance goes on the street and everybody stops because the ambulance is passing by and it's like the elephant in your conversation? Well, the second you're defensive over your behavior, it's probably a good like, hey, why am I being so defensive? Yeah. Like that. That's an ambulance saying, whoa, 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 pride. Um, and so for me, like that was definitely a struggle of myself. Like I was super defensive as a, as a younger guy, probably even sometimes still defensive wrongfully. So, and Kylie could probably tell you stories. Um, and every time I realize I'm being defensive, I realize what I'm not doing is being open to the fact that I could be wrong. And statistically speaking, if I do the math and look at sin plus my heart plus deceitfulness, Equals blind spots and me making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So now to not accept rebuke is, or to not accept the fact that I might be wrong is my pride because there's two things. Sometimes in this chair, you're right and the person coming to you is wrong. And if you're defensive, it's about you rather than helping that person understand, Hey, you've, you've got though. You've got some right motives and some right thinking here. We, we need to help you think better about ministry in Jesus Christ. Um, but, but again, the danger is sometimes, you know, even with experience and even, you know, going through the Gospels and sometimes kind of feeling like an expert in Hebrews because the amount of times you teach it, you still need to be open to like, hey, you may be wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You may have missed something. Um, and it's very common. Um, abusive people, I've noticed, will commonly redirect. So if you approach them and say, Hey, listen, um, I think the things you're saying are sinful. A lot of times the redirect will come down to, well, but you're not approaching me in the right way. Why are you not approaching me in the right way? Mm -hmm. And see what happened that that's this sinful redirecting. And, you know, somebody who's experienced will say timeout. It doesn't like, yeah, I probably am not doing it perfectly. But it doesn't. It doesn't change. Like I'm coming to you to help you, and that—that's what I've noticed. Like abusive, manipulative people tend to tend to kind of do that. So, um, now, real, real quick though, he does bring up some caveats about not everything is abuse, and I think it's important. Yes. Um, why sometimes pastor being unfriendly, <laughs> does that mean they're abusive? Uh, and and I'll be fair. Like um, my boys work for another person in the church. And the day that Sabine passed away, I went to pick the boys up and I wasn't very friendly. And I later texted the guy and said, Hey, please forgive me. I just didn't feel like I could be as open as I wanted to be. Um, and tell you the situation. I felt like I needed to tell Isaac privately before I told you publicly. And I was like, so I wasn't very friendly. And he was like, Oh yeah, no. He, once he knows the situation, I'm like, of course, you um, an intimidating person. I kind of sometimes will tell me like, um, you can be intimidating because of your convictions. Um, so, you know, these are things we try to work hard at, at like, Hey, I'm going to say something very direct. So I've learned to like caveat that with, Hey, can I say something very direct just so we don't mince words? Mm-hmm. Uh, not getting along. Uh, unfortunately sometimes people disagree with you and you're not going to get along. It happens even in your marriage. You don't always get along. Mm-hmm. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's normal. You know, that's normal. What? Yeah, I know. It's normal that you and your spouse don't always get along. The mm. crazy thing to me is how how couples try to hide it. Like, like it's a sign of unrighteousness that you don't always get along with your spouse. You're two sinful people growing to be in the image of Jesus Christ. You're not always going to agree. Accidentally hurting somebody. Again, this sometimes happens. Um, Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> and, right, sometimes you say something to somebody that you think is innocuous, not realizing that they're hypersensitive to it. And you find out later you really hurt their feelings. And you need to come back. Oh, you know what? I had no idea that in your past, a banana like got lodged in your ear. And had I known that I would have not ever made the banana in your ear joke. You know what I mean? Like sometimes these things happen. So very vivid picture. Though. Yeah. that, well, that was Yeah. <laughs> <know, I> <laughs> That's my impact, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you got it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one movie you saw, yeah. Uh yeah. um, that was like yeah years by, ago. in the 80s, yeah. <laughs> Great 80s movie. If you just got that reference and you're listening to this, 60,000 points.
2: That's this when movies were watchable. Yes, not, I'm not gonna not fall for bad.
0: that. Banana in the tailpipe. The you're second one was good, good too. Tailpipe? I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this. The second one is really good. I never saw the third one, anyway. Uh, confronting people's sin, also not abusive. Um, that this is unfortunately, sometimes this is something we have to do. Um, you know, sending somebody a letter, Hey, let's reconcile, not abusive. Um, yeah. And, and Kruger brings that up. And I think that's what I like about this book is he, right. Because the danger of a book like this is you start to see ghosts and boogeymen, And, and if you don't read it carefully, Right. Oh, the pastor just told that person he's wrong. That's very abusive of the pastor. Well, that maybe, like, and I think that's what he's trying to get at. You got to go a little deeper than that. All right. So, um, all right. Now let's kind of move on. Um, from definition and approaches that we see. Uh, what what else was helpful to you in this book?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that. Um, it, it re-emphasizes a lot of things that we've been thinking through and, and brought more clarity um, uh, understanding basically the nature of leadership what that looks like and and how pastors are to, are, are to emulate that and uh, what i'm talking about is the christ-like leadership that that uh, we've been trying to emphasize in how we're trying to lead people um yeah, I, I, I found that encouraging, I think, and then just the bringing of clarity to uh, different things. So,
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, because the funny part is, if, 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 if you haven't picked up on this, we have been really trying to, like, how many times, I mean, we've had so many conversations about what ministry is mm-hmm. in the last two to three years that I feel like it's actually been one of the most fruitful, ongoing discussions we've ever had. -hmm. And certainly the most impactful. And because all of us are kind of working together to like right, we're seeing things and we're not we're not trying to like like we all listen to that that podcast and it's interesting, like ten years ago I would have had no heart and no compassion for Driscoll. Oops, sorry, just said his name. Um now I kind of have compassion for him. Not, not that I want him to be in power, not that I want him, not that I feel like he's qualified to do ministry, but just kind of this like, man, like broken people do broken things. And it does hurt like on the one hand, I don't want anybody to be on the receiving end of broken people. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there is a compassion for him of like, man, like what, what were you afraid of? What idolatry did you bring into the, into your pastoral ministry? that tempted you to make you think you were operating rightfully to protect this, this fear that you had. You know what I mean? Does that Mm. make sense? Like, I don't Mm. know. Um, So I don't know. I page 51 in short, a life of a servant ministry is not a life of gain. It is a life of death. It is not a life of power and position, but one of humility and sacrifice. We want to reign on a throne, but Jesus asked us to serve on a cross as Jean Calvin put it, Christ appoints pastors of his church not to rule but to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, indeed, the people most eager to sign up for a life of power and prestige are precisely the ones in danger of becoming abusive pastors. Yep. Yep. I, I think all of us have said this because in our discussions of this, we've all realized if it served the church better for us not to have this title or to be in this position, then amen. We'll, we'll go do something else. Because yeah. we don't that that's that's just it. None of us feel like we need this position. So anyway,
1: yeah.
2: I, I, for me, like my 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 what what goes through my mind, and I've said it plenty of times. Um, you know, it, just in conversation. What in a week now? Pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training, or this week right? And then a week later, the players, and they all go down to these nice warm areas. to prepare for the season, and what do they practice? The same things they've been practicing since they were eight years old. And they've been playing baseball for 30 years, and they're still going to practice bunting, and the pitcher's going to practice when the first baseman has to field the ball running to the bag, and the first baseman's going to practice throwing it underhand to the pitcher, and they're going to do basics, 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 basics. So, yeah, I think like like you said, like we've talked about ministry so much over these years, and it's so important. The church is growing, right? There's new people that haven't heard that, but also just for me, right? And 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 hearing that again, like, yeah, I'm I'm here to serve. That's it. Other people's needs come in front of me. Christ is before, him. put Christ before him, and serve and love, and in, you know, do you not need the gospel every day, right? Like like. We need it. It helps with humility, it keeps me humble.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys have any notes on the chapter I have "A Heavy Yoke on Us." I, I think that's what I try to remember. Honestly, what I try to remember the most is the solution to their pro- to to my problem and your problem. And, and I'm not necessarily just saying you, Thomas, um, but but it, it includes you, includes Gino. But includes everybody is actually Jesus Christ. I'm not your solution. Jesus Christ is your solution. So Mm -hmm. I actually want you to better understand Him, not me. Yep.
1: Yeah. I think it's important for people in the congregation to know that you know the the correct desire for leaders is that you want you want shepherds, not warriors. Um, you know, you don't. They don't need to battle the external. They need to deal with the heart of the people so that they can do Ephesians four, which is be equipped for ministry. Oh, uh, you know? So yeah, the, I don't think the pastor is a culture warrior per se. And I don't know if that, um, I mean, we fight, we fight the culture through the gospel by, by, because the gospel changes hearts. And that sounds so generic, but it's, I'm still there. I'm not like, I, I every time I put that, I put, you know, trying to, minister to people through that lens it makes the most sense biblically speaking it's always through the gospel
0: yeah which is what we like that's what's so helpful for me like i'm a beggar for bread showing you the beggar for bread yes yeah and it's you know if you're motivated to protect your own power and authority then what if that's your key motive then what are your actions going to look like If your sole desire is to keep your position mm-hmm. then is that going to influence the way you Absolutely. deal with other people? Yeah.
1: How? Well, because this, so that's the idol, right? So if you're trying to if your idol is authority and power, right? Then you're going to do everything to stop anybody from taking it away from you. Yeah, hence the the the, the dead bodies that the idea there is that you will be willing to run over anybody and make them the issue, not yourself. Their sin the issue, not your sin. You know,
0: um, or if you're even trying to just make yourself look good. Yeah, like if because there there are people that come into the church that I think, and again, I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind per se. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, this is not me trying to like subtly hint at somebody in the church or anything, but but sometimes young guys and I say this because it's common among young men, and it's true of me too, really, really want to kind of be the one to explain everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they, And they want everyone in the church to respect them. And again, what's the problem with that? What, what, What's the problem? that that? Like you just said, that becomes an idol. Yes. But what does that trickle down into in actions?
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're. well, well one thing is that you're creating people that look like you. Yep. Yeah, so you're, the disciple that you're making are basically power hungry disciples, yeah. um, rather than Christ like disciples. You know, who are willing to go to the cross.
0: Yeah. Um, are you going to spend time with those people if they don't make you look better? Oh, I see. No, no, no. Right. And what's the problem with that? Yeah. I mean,
1: we're shepherds. We're called to. Yeah, <laughs> we're called to smell like sheep. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> so. church is
0: really a group of people that are not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble. Yes. I mean that doesn't mean there's not some nobility, you know, Queen Elizabeth said I am think that my favorite letter in the alphabet is m from 1 Corinthians the not many mm. mighty or noble. So that's the queen of uh, of England, Queen Elizabeth, you know, in, in the Shakespearean time. Noticing that, right? And even she understood that that, that for the most part Christians are are those of more humility You know, we tend to not be the flashy Aaron Rodgers of the world or Babe Ruths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's, that's the thing. Like what the goal of ministry is to serve people, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so if you're self-centered, you're, you're going to drop people who don't help advance you. Mm -hmm. You're going to flatter the people over you that can put you into position that you want to be. And the problem is you're at no point are is that person ever serving Jesus Christ. Right, because the humble servant actually says, you know what, it's not about me. It's about me. It's about you understanding Christ better, and I want to help you do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whereas if it's about me, then even somebody whose views you might view as dangerous or you might view them as competition. I mean, the worst thing you can do in the church is have competition for a position.
1: Yeah, basically people are, are, are props to, you know, for for your glory and your ministry it, it's really about you and I think that's the big point in this that that chapter of Yoness that you know the the, the goal is that there you know, everyone is exists to prop up them um their name and, and that's a scary place to be because you view yourself as God's chosen chosen instru- instrument to bring the gospel to the world when it's not a one man show. It's a, everybody, it's a, everybody has a job show.
0: Yeah. First yeah. Corinthians 12, right? Yeah. I mean the hand, the foot, the eye, the ear. How do you say that's my biggest bet. B when somebody comes up to me, he's like your church. I'm like, I'm sorry. You remember here? It's our church. Mm-hmm. Like, and I always say it, I'm like, I'm not trying to be nitpicky here, but this is a big deal. Like I'm correcting you for a big deal reason, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's also interesting to me. Um, you know, I think that this heavy yoke on his chapter is really good for thinking about what a leader must be, because when you think of First Timothy three and Titus one and those characteristics, what what is the emphasis of those two passages? Like gentleness and kindness is a so like so soberness and
1: sensibility.
0: Um. Yeah, is it speaking abilities? The ability to organize the church. It's
1: character. It's character.
0: And why is character so important in leadership?
1: That's actually um, a good point because um, I believe that character, if if we're thinking about character and we're thinking about ministry, they're so intertwined. Um, I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 4, equip the saints to do the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, then they forget this part to mature manhood. Um, And the character is part of maturity and it's actually part of the goal. Mm-hmm. It's not just the knowledge. And I think that that's where the confusion is sometimes like character is, is part of um, our witness. It is part of the message. Uh, you, you cannot, it's kind of like, Uh, in in our study of forgiveness you can't teach forgiveness without justice um you can't teach the cross without christ you can't teach right god loving the world without christ dying on the cross for sin that's justice right so you, you can't teach really ministry without character and ministry is not just words um and proclamation it is living in a way that that where you're walking in a way that honors God worthy in a manner that uh, to which we've been called. So yeah, I I don't know if that makes sense, uh, but I'm trying to more clearly succinctly say it, I guess.
0: Yeah, it does. And, and what's interesting is you look at the way Jesus combats sin and leads people to repentance. And those, those weapons actually look different than the world's weapons, Mm -hmm. you know, because again, you can go to a boss who expects results, expects you to work extra hours, you know, doesn't care about your family, doesn't care about you, doesn't care about the way he speaks, really doesn't even respect you, you have to earn, right? Like, hey, I don't give respect. You earn my respect by the way you do your job. Yeah. Um, but but that's not how Jesus even leads us to repentance. And that that's the interesting part. So if we're going to stand in the pulpit and say, hey, you have a kind and gracious God that leads you to repentance through humility, kindness, grace, mercy, right? Like, one, this guy knows all all of your sins and he still loves you. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. that to me, this is mind blowing. Um, right. That, that to me is almost evidence, right. Enough evidence right there that that's God because no human being would love me if they were aware of a hundred percent of my sins. In fact, Chris Austin brings this up in his in his um, book on the priesthood. He says, I'm leery to go into this position because I know people are going to latch on to things that are minor about me and miss the major. And that that's crazy. I mean, I know I've had people upset with me for little things that I sit there and I go, this isn't even, this is 1% of my life. And it's not even a character disqualifying attribute. It's, it's something that I prefer and they, they don't like that. You know, I don't like that. He paints minis or I don't like this or I don't like that. And it's like, well, you're really missing like what I'm trying to be about. Yeah. You know, and and so
1: Well, those are the people that define pastoral ministries as pastors don't do X, Y, and Z. Yes. But they don't know what they actually do. Yes. That's the problem. So they, they know what they don't like. Yeah. They actually don't know what scripture calls pastors or and pastor, pastoral ministry to look like. Yeah. So a person like that is gonna be frustrated. Yes. And he needs to learn what ministry is again? Back to the
0: yeah, 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 totally, and that right. So that's why I think our character matters, because behind closed doors, right, when we're telling somebody, "Hey, look, this is a sinful issue, and we want to help you," it, there's something nice about knowing the person I'm talking to has a good view of my situation, a good view of the Lord but is also going to be patient is going to, is going to show me what the weapons look like. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And imitates what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's the part too. Like, so if, if for a pastor, we can never make a mistake. If the second we make a mistake, we're disqualified. Then the solution to that is to get rid of anybody that ever saw us make a mistake because now the ministry and I am in jeopardy. But if I'm the kind of guy that like, again, is above reproach, but can lead by oh yeah I you know my wife and family and I can tell you like yeah I confess sin I sin all the time and and here's how here's what reconciliation looks like. Now I mean you think about right because so much of our ministry and so much of our life it, a big part of it is is learning how to walk in a reconciled way with other people and that's what that's what pastors. That's what spiritual leaders should have. They should have the maturity of what it means to live reconciled with other people because, and here's the other thing. When I disagree with somebody, I am prone to let the disagreement be the defining characteristic of the other person. When I don't disagree, but when I think about people biblically, then their identity in Christ becomes the defining characteristic. And that takes maturity. It takes maturity to look at somebody and say, hey, you got a really weird view on this doctrine, but I'm actually not going to let that be the defining moment between us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let Christ be the defining moment and know that we all, right, we're all trying to to do our best to worship Jesus Christ and walk together. I still want to help you have a better biblical view, but I, but I understand it may take time and I'm not in a hurry. Let's walk.
1: That's good. Like that's that's helpful. You you view someone, at least a brother in the church. Hey, do you love Christ? Do you believe faith in him alone saves? Then we're brothers. Let's learn to walk together. Yeah. And and everything else is secondary. You know? Um and that's difficult and that's what we're called to do. And that's why um humility is super important. Um and and this is where um where again I think the reason why Kruger brings this topic up is because um, the presupposition is, oh, if I'm in a if I'm in a conservative reform circle, I'm good. That's not true. Um, no, you, you still, no matter what doctrine, no matter how pure your doctrine is, and no matter what structure of leadership you have, it never negates the necessity of humility. Humility is the key. No, so, if you, no matter what structure you have, if every leader or a leader is humble, they're going to be okay mm-hmm. because they're going to make humble disciples um, versus if you have a great, you know, a biblical structure but wrong character, uh, ain't nobody going to be, uh, <laughs> right? No one's going to be helped. In that. Well,
0: and you brought it up earlier. That person's disciples are actually going to be a worse version of you. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so you're going gonna to end up with the church that bites and devours each other because that's what they learned by, that's what they learned by you. Exactly. Yeah, they learn how to be harsh, unloving, um, with the wrong goals, and then what you have is power structures within your church, because now you're trying to like, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Ramil, I am of Chris, and I am of you know Chris's goals are, and that's what I'm of, and it's like, then you have the super spirit over there, like, oh, I'm of Jesus Christ, you know, and and Paul's going, man, all of you guys are out to lunch, like you're not unified around the gospel, and mm. yeah. So, um, all right, what else did, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, that was really loud. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think maybe that's one other thing. Change. We we are in a business of wanting people to change, Mm. right? Like if I understand sanctification, you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You're not glorified. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. There are confusing things in scripture. There are clear things in scripture. I don't want to dishonor the Lord. I want to rest in Christ. And I want to serve you to love Jesus Christ. Who produces the change in another person?
1: Holy Spirit. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think, why is that? To me, that's important to discussion. But why? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: In the context of what we're talking about, we want to say, "Holy Spirit, move aside. I'm the Holy Spirit, and here's how I'm going to influence this people." We talked about the heavy yoke part on fifty three, right? But a lack of gentleness, compassion, understanding, and then just what you talked about, then that comes out in those people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're training them
1: to be that, mm-hmm. and it's so true. Yeah. If if for me, it's um, um if the spirit is. Who opened our eyes and gave us a new heart? Right. Then, right. If the means is the spirit for salvation, then the means for sanctification is also the spirit. Um, That doesn't negate His Word, obviously. But the spirit is who changes people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what are what are how do I serve you? What's the best thing for me to do? If your thinking is wrong what what's the what is my role now as a leader in the church you who are spiritual seek to stores restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness what's that restoration process look like?
1: yeah when if I want if I if my goal right as as a leader um, as a shepherd is um, obviously to teach right um, and that looks like influence that looks like helping. Uh, walking with someone patiently, right? So, um, this is where the temptation for authoritarianism can can come in because, it, well, why don't they see this right away? They need to they they need to learn this yesterday. Therefore, I'm going to manipulate so that he does what I want. No, it's uh, are we patient enough and humble enough to walk with somebody and help them see themselves uh, in the mirror of Scripture so that they can rightly uh, rightly view themselves biblically, and then rightly understand how they need to look like Christ. So that's very important. I think the ability to see oneself clearly in the lens of Scripture, through the lens of Scripture, is is part of how the Spirit changes us. And that's why the this, this Scripture is so necessary. It's the mirror of God, right? Um, and and it's the whole Scripture, right? I would say so. Yeah.
0: I mean, that to me, that's where, like, let me help you understand well, what Christ has done for you. Let me help you understand why you are dead to sin, why you're alive to Christ. Help me, Let me help you understand the gospel. That, that's what I felt like, actually, the uh, Recovering Our Sanity. And I, I don't know that that's going to be a book for us this year, but that was the one, it was my favorite thing in Horton's book, was he did a good job of showing how wrong fears lead to wrong le- living. And how if we think about the gospel and the topic, he did a really good job of going back to Like at some point you're like, okay, I've already read this. And it's like, well, that's the point. Like understanding your union with Christ and your justification, yep. God's sovereignty, Christ, the spirit, and elections. Like understanding all that together really helps have the right fear of God, which helps us think with sanity And then apply that to our life. And that, that's what spiritual leaders are there for. Mm -hmm. Hey, you have a relationship with Christ. That doesn't mean you understand your relationship with Christ. So we're going to try to, we're going to do our best to help you understand. Maybe even like, maybe even have to confront and say the problem with your view of the problem with your repentance is you seem to only want pity. You, You want a pity party, but you don't ever seem to want to move on to Jesus Christ. And that's why this is such a, that's why it requires patience because I wish the spirit were more like a Harry Potter wand where I could just walk by and zap the spirit and sanctify people immediately. But that's not yeah, the well, way. What's the spell <laughs> for that? Spare for notes. Yeah, I know, right?
2: <laughs> both of you said it, you know, you said earlier in the in the this is the uh, example that you were using, come on, let's walk. And you just said, I want to walk with the person, right? Which the notes like, yeah, we, we want it to be that, you know, could Instantly. I just be sanctified, yeah. please? Like, yeah. it, can we do this faster, right? I call it microwave Where,
1: ministry. Yeah, microwave
2: <laughs> ministry, right? That that there's a process there and it's a walk, but part of the beauty, beauty of it is the walk, you know? Mm-hmm. There, there is a destination, but part of the beauty of that is the walk. Yep.
0: All right, so... um What else did you, anything else in this book? By the way, I felt like every chapter was helpful. Uh, my least favorite chapter was um, They Shall Not Hurt or Destroy. And and um, the funny part is I agreed with everything you wrote um, and, and really appreciated it. I just, there was a part of me that thought this is the one, this was the one thing that, uh, that a book like this makes me kind of worry about. Um, and maybe, maybe I misunderstood it, and I'm happy to reread it and go back and change it. Uh, prevention, keeping abusive leaders from gaining a position of power. I don't think the first goal is to prevent abusive leaders. The first goal is to see who God has raised up to be good leaders. Mm-hmm. So um, looking for... And that that again, that's where I agreed with everything you said. I just thought I would have, this is where I'm being nitpicky. I'm breaking my own rule of a bad, in my mind, it is better to say, here's what we are looking for. than here's what we are not looking for. By being able to articulate what you're looking for, you are also saying what you're not looking for. And the number one goal of the, of the pastor, the pastoral team and the elders is not to prevent bully past bully elders. It is to exalt Jesus Christ. Okay. So that that's the one danger to a book like this is you leave going, Hey, our number one goal should be to prevent it. Yes. We want to prevent it. Yes. We want the right men in leadership and we want the right men and women and deacons who are not an authoritative part of cornerstone. But that was kind of the only thing. Um, the other, yeah, go ahead. I
1: was gonna say that maybe the, the the title should have been like creating a culture that understands biblical leadership better, or something like that. Yeah, agreed. Uh, rather than resisting <coughs> spiritual views, although I, I I get why he wrote this is because he's um, he's trying to point out that um, you know sometimes you're already in the position and you have to know what to do. You have to know. You have to understand. Like there's there can be a process that you can implement. Uh, you can think through it. So it it is practical in that sense. And then it's also practical in just self-examination, like just making sure, okay, am I doing any of this stuff? I do agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah. And that, that is all to say. I do think this is helpful, like limiting power. Like we have been against, I'm against the model where one pastor can hire and fire the staff at will. I'm against the model where, yeah, I didn't know that existed. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. Yes. And it's gross. It's kind of weird because it, it ends up like, like it is, it takes away the plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it's unbiblical. Like just cause you see somebody up there preaching 80% of the Sundays doesn't mean it's his church. Like the head of the church is Christ. So, I mean, yeah, I, and I actually think really good, right. He even says limiting power, real feedback, um, independent leadership, um, you know, something being willing to, I can't remember what he said on that, but just listed as genuine transparency.
1: Yeah. The feedback kind of, um, was kind of, uh, funny cause I was just, it, it reminded me back to like, you know, corp- corporate days when you had to have that review at the end of oh, the, yeah. at the end of the year or it's just like, oh, it's so annoying.
0: <laughs> oh, I see what he's saying. That yes, that some leaders surrounding the pastor are genuinely independent of him. And, and I think what they mean by that is not under his, you know, they're, they're able to come in and outside voices, um, who are able to comment or provide input on, on that role. Mm -hmm. And so he even says, you know, like you need to have men and women on that so that you can have their different perspectives on the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, and I get that because I think a good leader realizes men and women think differently. And so we, we got to be cognizant of that, um,
1: I think keep it. I, I think the, the one way that um, I mean, implementing the structure again is helpful. But humility, like if you're if you're humble, you're going to listen to you're, you're going to want to know what people, what what your mature, um, or even anybody in the congregation what 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 they're saying and what they're talking about because um, you're trying to shepherd them, and you're trying to see where they are. So,
0: yeah, I think I would say, um, if I if I were talking to a new pastor or somebody in ministry, I would also say it's not a good idea to have everything in your church run through you. Yeah. Because to me, that's, that's also part of the problem. Once everything runs through you, Hey, it's got to go through, uh, through Billy's vision. Does it fit Billy's vision? The problem is you've just replaced the head of the church with Christ. And, and I also, I just don't know that we're meant like, I don't, Uh, people are starting to realize in the church are coming to me asking things. I'm like, well, I don't even know why you're talking to me. Like I have no idea what's going on to children's ministry. Like I know there's no problems, but at the same token, like I'm not, like I'm not involved in that and that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. and I I think some, it's that control thing. Some people feel like they got to have their hand on everything. And the problem with that is, man, you can create, it's just, I think that's too much.
1: You're not talking about, but you're not talking about like um, how the ministries of the church or like the, the, the teams in the church um, serve the goals of ministry because you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, pa- pastor, I want to do X, Y, and Z, you know? Uh, and I want to recruit these people to do that. Um, what do you say to this person like that? Right. You're not saying that that's like, but that's so way out there like not connected with what we're trying to do. Is that different than what you're saying right now?
0: Yeah, it's different because what I'm saying is somebody comes to me and says like, Hey, um, like, like there are some pastors out there that, that I get the sense, think they need to be on expert on every detail and every committee and every team in the church. Gotcha. So that guy like, Oh, the, Oh, um, you know, grandma Susie in children's, just taught this thing that I disagree with on the Trinity. Well, we need to pull her aside and have her correct that, Hmm. you know? And it's like, wow, like, why are you, you know? And then it's like, so let's say your, your church has 10 committees or, or kind of like 10 ministries and they're, they're very involved functioning ministries. And that pastor, like one pastor feels like he needs to know everything in every committee. To me, it's like, whoa, that's way too much, bro. Focus on what you need to focus on trust the Lord to build the right people. Like if you're, if you're, if you're recognizing and your, your church has a process of recognizing the giftedness of people and involving them and empower them to serve, that's going to actually help prevent the bully pastor. And then, for for pastors and elders, you need to realize your people are going to fail just like you did. It's okay. Yeah. No, nothing, nothing that's, shattered. That's a
1: pastor who views people as their as his puppets, yes. really. So he's just he's really he's really running the whole church with puppets, and he's 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 the puppet master. Yeah. Versus like he's identified the giftedness and character of this person, and therefore he can trust that person to do that ministry. And we can work together as as a as a big as a big leadership team, yeah. doing ministry together. Yet we all can be responsible for our areas.
0: Yeah, and the door's open because if you need my help, I'm here to help you. Yep. Yeah, but I'm not here to micromanage. Exactly. Yeah. I think micromanage is a form of abuse. Now I get it. Sometimes you have to micromanage. Like I, I told one of my kids the other day, like I hate micromanaging you, but if you're not going to do this, I'm going to micromanage you.
1: Yeah. I you think that comes to maturity right the well thing. yes yeah. yeah yeah he
0: just doesn't have the convictions yet to squirrel yeah oh hold on raccoon <laughs> son what are you supposed to be doing yeah anyway uh, one other thing I want to note on this is um I'm actually not a fan again I realize spiritual abuse and and is very popular right now it is a popular topic there are podcasts on it Yeah. Um, the media loves the topic, whether they be believer media, un- unbeliever media. In general, I am a fan of thinking about the due process of hey, if I'm being abusive or Gino's abusive or one of the elders, like it is fair to come to us and talk to us. You know, because yes. And he he brings this up too. Like, hey, it may be right, how do you okay, go confront your confronter? Like that can be really tough. Um, but I'm also not a fan of spending time in the media when the media covers this stuff. And here's why. I'm not saying that the media is wrong when they present that some pastors being abusive. Um, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying my problem is that rarely is there actually like a biblical due process mm-hmm. followed.
1: Yeah plus the media has its own goals.
0: Yes,. Yeah. And we still need to be aware of this that Exodus 2016, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The reason why that's one of the ten Commandments is because it is a it does happen. It happens when you exaggerate and gossip. It exa- it happens when you misrepresent. Uh, it happens when you um, you know assume somebody believes something and they don't. It happens when you read a book and then present the author's arguments different. This is what goes back to my one of the reasons I don't like discernment ministries. It's oftentimes I've read their book and I'm like, oh, you just bore a false witness. Mm-hmm. Um, but tw- Exodus 23 1, you shall not spread a false report. You, sh- report. you shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing I don't want anybody to be abused by another leader. I also don't want to be a, have a leader be falsely accused and have his or her life ruined because of the false accusation. So I am a fan of due process, and I, I think the Bible, in the Law, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, spends time talking about how to vet out accusations, how to vet and consider and weigh evidence, and that's my problem with the media is I don't care who's writing it. That person can pick and choose who they listen to, who they allow into the evidence, and then they weave it into a narrative. And again, they may be right. My problem is it's not, God has not ordained the media to be the justice rendering due process.
1: Right. They're not the court.
0: They're not the court.
1: Not the court. And that's important. Yes. Yes. Uh, and even courts within a church um, have to be qualified. Yes. Yeah. So
0: So again, I'm not, I'm absolutely 100% protecting victims, I'm absolutely 100% taking somebody's accusation seriously. Um, but I think we have to realize that the reason why God puts this in the Bible is because there are people who are willing to bring up a false witness and accuse their brother falsely. Deuteronomy 19, 18 and 19, the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And that that's the one thing that I don't think the media understands. They hear a story. They immediately run to the the first person to plead their case is right until a man of understanding comes along. Proverbs 18 And the problem with that is that now Pastor Billy is indicted for no evidence or or for one-sided evidence. So the narrative comes out and as Thaddeus Williams points out in his book on justice, it's easy for the evidence to become a narrative, to become propaganda, to become if you don't one accept our claim, and two accept our demanded response to this, then you are acting unjustly, and now you've just destroyed the livelihood of an innocent person. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's actually a movie on that the the Atlanta bombing. Remember the yeah. the security guard In the Olympics. Yeah, and then later he's vindicated, uh, but by this point he's lost everything because the media, and right. he actually sues the media and wins, but of course the media doesn't cover that. Uh, and then he passed away. Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell. Yep. No. Okay. So um, phenomenal movie and an excellent point that, listen, sometimes the media gets it wrong. And so anytime somebody sends me articles about people or about a pastor or about this or that, I'm like, you know what? It's a, That is a what. You, they, may, they may be right. And that's the thing. Somebody be like, can you believe they're slandered? You know what? To be fair, they may be right. In your head, you need to realize we're dealing with, believers who get misguided and sometimes the power goes to even Goodman's head. They may be right. The problem is I'm actually not the judge. I'm not the jury. I'm not an elder. I'm not a part of the due process. Yes. I don't want any victims. I don't want anybody to be a victim of that person. But the problem is a lot of times I'm actually not in the chair to do something about it. And the best thing for me to do is just sit silently by and say, okay, Lord, you are the king of your churches. You, I mean, God is amazing at ruling his churches and I, I am, mean, you right. Like, is there a better head of the church than Jesus Christ? And I know this, God has a way of bringing down those who need to be brought down and he has a way of dealing with them. And, and to even to be fair, honestly, no pastor ever does it perfectly. What? I know. <laughs> and, and, Horton asked this question because we're so quick to want to cancel people. And we're so quick to, to be, to want to be on the team that gets rid of those on that aren't on our team. But ask yourself this question. Are you comfortable with other people having the same power to do that to you? And the answer is no, none of us are. We're okay when we're in the chair of power, but when we're not in the chair of power, that that's when right like oh no now our criteria is going to change why because it doesn't benefit us anymore and so all that to say I, the last thing I want to do is read this book and and have people read this book and think oh let's let's join in the media crusades when a pastor's hammered like I pray um that that we that there's some brokenness when we find out there are manipulative pastors for that individual, that guy's going to stand before Jesus Christ. And if we're thinking rightfully, we want that guy at the banquet table. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's okay to say we, we don't want him to harm anybody else. So Lord, you know, please. And I think that's why this, this, where this book could be helpful. Elders need to contemplate what's the due process and how do we handle it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I ran over.
1: Agreed. All right. The uh, epilogue, by the way, is really good. I don't know if you read it. Oh yeah, it was good. Um, the, the the titles of each section: Beware of my church is the greatest syndrome. Oh yeah, that's yeah. not good. I love our church, but yeah. I, we also understand that God placed us here to to shepherd the people in front of us, and we're just trying to be faithful. Um, <clears throat> another one is, um, no, the slightest disagreement or complaint won't sink your church, and that's helpful because um as we walk together we're going to disagree and people are going to grumble and complain um and and so we have to not be defensive about that um another one is you and the elders need more help than you think absolutely that's why i think like you know it's helpful that you have other friends in the ministry we have other friends in the ministry that that uh, we can reach out to if um we have questions and and need help on on other issues that we're thinking through. Right. That's been helpful. Um, another section is if it's never good enough, the problem may be you. This is the guy that just, um, just works everyone to death because, you know, um, his goal is to see some kind of standard. That's not being, that's not even mutable. (laughs) It's some kind of vision. That's like, you know, he's the visionary that like, no, just, just, just do ministry. Let the Lord work, you know? Um, and then, I like this, this one is uh, most people need a pat on the back, not a kick in the pants. And for me, I, I I've said it this way: sometimes people just need more grace, um, you know. And uh, again, it's like the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. And then finally, your self-awareness may not be as accurate as you think. So that's really humbling. Um, yeah, and that's true, right? Like we could be self-aware and maybe more than we were yesterday. But uh, we have to be, but we still have blind spots. Blind spots. Yeah. yeah. So. Those are good. Yep. Yeah. So it's a good book uh, overall. I thought it was helpful um, clarifying again and, and just continu- continuing to grow in our understanding of ministry and what le- leadership should look like. And again, just being aware of pitfalls that are, that are real in our circles. Yeah.
0: How do you define ministry? Let's leave on that note. Oh,
1: okay. A million dollar question. Yep. Okay.
0: What's your definition? If somebody come up to you personally and say, What's your definition of ministry? What what's each of you, what's everybody say? Um ultimately
1: it's one word, right? I think we see this all the time. Um, you know, the 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 last the the first is the last, uh the idea of servanthood, we're, we're here like ministry. I always wondered why. Uh, we don't have minis- ministers in, in, in our government, but in, in like Europe, they have minis- ministers of parli- parliaments. Um, I, I like that word because you know, we think of it as a uh, a title, but it's actually what we do and it's what we do is we serve Christ to people. Ultimately, that's the ultimate goal. And what that means is um, our goal is to see, uh, we want, yes, we want change, but the the means to that change is um, lifting up Christ so that they can see his. Um, they can see that he is their ultimate satisfaction and joy and rest. Uh, if you have that, if people have that, and we can help people see that, uh, they they then they themselves understand what it means to be a disciple maker because we're making disciples of him, um, not of ourselves. Um, you know, we're not lawmakers either. We're just trying to help people live as, um, live like the one who saved us. So, it's such yeah. a, sorry, that
0: serving people, Jesus Christ. Yep. Yeah. That Service was the longest one word. Yeah. <laughs> 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 sorry, I <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Yeah. That was good. <laughs> sorry. Uh, see, my dog <laughs> even's like, that was, like, yeah. Hold on. Is not, it... I'm not sure
1: if uh, she liked it or not.
0: Well, I don't know what she's doing.
1: Rise of outrage or joy.
0: Yeah, that's something. That's that's I'm not in the room. How can I shepherd you if I'm not in the room? So you should that's a shepherd dog, knowing we're talking about shepherds. Right. Thomas, how do you define leadership? Yes,
2: service to God and other people in his name? Yep.
0: That's good. Really, it really does make a difference. I think I've said if I ever wrote a book on church planning, chapter number one, know what ministry is. Hmm. Because if you have a deficient view of ministry, you will it will fail you, right? And and that, I think we, did we ever talk about that on point? We did, right? Like, if you just think of ministry as solely as preaching the word, then you did ministry if you listen to the word. The problem with that is that ministry is so much more. Yep. And so, preaching is a part of ministry, but it's not the ministry. And yet, there may be a person in your church that that's primarily his ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, but it doesn't negate the one another's from his life. And so that that's, to me, like, it's interesting when you even go back to the reformers, Calvin Luther, uh, and you even go back a little further, a lot of them viewed, Hey, the reason why you love and serve other people is because you have been loved and served by God. And now you want, you, you right. You really want to bring God to them in the way you love and serve them. And, and you're, the way you speak to him. And that's, mm-hmm. you know,
1: maybe that's why it's so hard to, to like have one word, because if you think about who Christ is, he did a few things he taught he served he washed feet he shepherded he you know what i'm saying like he did so many things um and, and so like uh sometimes ministry like you know he quipped he i mean he rebuked he i mean um so, so many different aspects of it that you can't i guess one if you just if you say sir, servant right be a servant or servant leadership sometimes what people hear is something else so but Agreed. yeah, I, I think there's a bigger, broader idea of ministry. It's encapsulated in Christ and who he is, what he, his character and deeds, um, his goals. Are, it's it's the ministry yeah. goals.
0: Yeah. I mean, he. to be fair, I, I think you could take your earlier definition and say that, that Christ is, is right. If anybody could have been overbearing and manipulative, it was Christ. hmm Because he had every right to be like, hey, why don't you go do that? Why? Because I said so. Mm-hmm. And, and not that sometimes you got to look at your kids and be like, I said, so like I, like there's a place for that. I'm not saying there's not a place, but, but in general, especially as people get older and you're working with spirit empowered people, it's not the best approach. Cause I said, so like even, even with one of my kids, he, I think he struggled to understand why I want one of the chores done when it's done. So I explained to him today, like, look, if somebody steals our trash cans, that's an expensive repair. They charge us for that. And it's like, now that you better understand now. And he's like, Oh yeah, now that I understand I better. And it's like, right. Because you know, for, for a 10 year old, go do what I say. I'm trying to teach him to kind of respect that authority. But there's also a part of me as they get older that realizes you got to lead them by, by, by explaining why it's important and helping them understand the situation and the scenario. And that was Jesus Christ, right? Like he could have said, because it said so, but he doesn't. Instead it's, Hey, I want you to know, what it means to worship your Lord. And then depending on the circumstance, kind of the wisdom that Christ had then to say, you need to be rebuked. You don't need to be rebuked, right? Like, cause, cause the woman that comes up to him crying in tears that just touches his robe. He doesn't turn around and look at her and say, well, you're a sinner, hmm. right? He, he already knows that she's aware of this. And so instead he replies with, listen, your sins are forgiven. you know, and he restores her. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of Christ, right? Is that he has that wisdom to know because sometimes you do have to go to somebody and say, look, you are, you are deceiving yourself and look at, look at the ripples that it is like the destruction that you're creating in your family and with other people. And other times you don't need to do that. Okay. You're coming to us crying because you've destroyed your family now, let's help you understand how Christ puts you back together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So much more to. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Le- anytime we talk about leadership. Yeah. yeah. Leadership ministry. It's like. Yeah. It's only on every page of the Bible. Yeah. All right. Well, bully pulpit. Hopefully, people reading it was good. Um, nobody messaged us and said they had questions. So the next month is uh, putting Jesus in his place. If you have questions or comments or cries of outreach, um, let us know. All right, let's do some uh, closing music and we'll move on.